Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's, it's good to see you. Uh, just want to, again, I don't want to take too much time, but all access is this weekend. Fellas, we won't be meeting. Normally, we've been meeting the first Saturday of every month, being that this Saturday is the 1st of October, which is crazy. Uh, the fact that we're already in October, but we won't have uh, our, our monthly men's gathering this Saturday. Instead, would encourage you to, to come on out to all access, make a, uh, a point to, to be a part of that uh, all of you, if you haven't signed up yet, you can do that on the app, or you can stop by the Welcome Center. Somebody would be more than happy to help you with that. Today, we're going to get into the Word if you're ready for it. That was your chance to say, like, yeah, I'm ready, but I don't know. I don't know if we are. Do we want to play the buzz one more time and then help us get... Are you ready for the Word today? Yeah. All right, good. How many of you have been enjoying the Bible reading plan? We've been reading through the Bible chronologically together. Uh, now that we're out of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, everybody's back to being excited about, about reading through it. We've, we've been reading through uh, how the, the, the people from Judah have been living in exile. They've been there for 70 plus years now. Uh, this week in our reading, we read the, the book of Ezra and how that, uh, the, the edict was given that, that anybody who wanted to return to Jerusalem, return to Judah, was able to do so, uh, was led um, by a couple different people, but Ezra goes back, they, they, they rebuild the foundations of the temple. We read uh, from the, the minor prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, uh, also from the book of Esther, and that's where we're going to be today. So if you want to take your Bible or open your, your app to uh, the book of Ezra is where, where we're going to spend our time this morning. The book of Ezra is an interesting book. It's a great book. I, I love the book of Ezra, but there's a couple unique things about it. The book of Ezra never mentions the name of God. Did you notice that as you were reading through it this week? Not once in the book of Ezra will you see God mentioned. Not once will you see faith mentioned. Not once will you see prayer mentioned. Not once will you see the law of Moses mentioned. God is not mentioned by name one time in the entire book of Esther. But just because God isn't mentioned by name does not mean that God is not present because he's constantly working behind the scenes in the life of Mordecai, in the lives of Ezra, and those who are living uh, in Susan throughout the, the rest of the, the Persian empire at that time. And I think that's an important point for us to understand because there are times in our lives where we can explicitly see God moving where we can, we, can, we can feel his presence, we know that he's there. But then there are times where, if you're like me, you begin to wonder, God, do you hear me? God, are you, are you, are you there? God, what's going on? Has anybody ever been there in your life? It's very easy to get to that place where you wonder if, if God went on a break or what is happening. But as we saw in the book of Ruth, and as we see again in the book of Esther, there are, there are two ways, and I told you when we went through Ruth, there are two ways that God works in our lives. God can work miraculously or God can work providentially. And when God moves miraculously in your life, he inserts himself supernaturally into the natural order of things and causes an event to happen by his own power. When God works providentially, it's what we see in the book of Romans chapter 8, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God's providence and God's providential move in your life is his ability to take natural situations and natural events and circumstances and weave his will throughout them to where you get to the end and you turn around and it's like, God, I see your hand throughout the entire process. We saw God work providentially in Ruth's life, and we see it again in, in Esther's life, and we see it throughout Scripture. But just because you don't feel God's presence, and just because you don't explicitly see Him working in your life does not mean that God is absent, and it doesn't mean that He's not working behind the scenes on your behalf. So we're going to be in, in Esther, again, chronologically, historically, just to set up some context. Israel, Judah, disobeyed, rebelled against God. God told them through his prophets, you're going to be living in exile. I'm going to raise up a, a, a kingdom to come and, and oppress you. They're, they're taken to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Last week we saw Daniel comes to a position of authority under the king and he serves faithfully, not just King Nebuchadnezzar, but four different kings over a period of 70 years. About halfway through this, this, uh, this assignment of Daniel to, to act as prophet, Babylon falls to Persia. Now the Persian empire is the controlling empire in the region and really throughout the known world at that time. We see that under King Cyrus, under King Darius, and in the book of Esther and later in the book of Nehemiah, we'll see it under Xerxes and his son Artaxerxes. And so, so the Persians have taken over. They're in a, in a place called Susa. It's a fortress in, in the kingdom of Persia at this time. And, and, and we see in Esther chapter one, beginning in verse three is where we're going to start says that in the third year of his reign, who is his reign, him is Xerxes. Again, in Susa, during the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, and he invited all the military officers of Persian Media, as well as the princes and nobles of his provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. The celebration lasted. That's a six-month-long party. Wow. Yeah. Six-month-long party. Could you imagine going to a six-month-long celebration? Like some of us, we can't even handle fireworks on July 5th without like throwing a fit on social media. And it's like, why are we still doing this? This was a six-month-long party. For 180 days, it says a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. Verse five, when it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa. And it lasted seven days because the 180 days weren't enough. We needed a nightcap that lasted seven days. And this was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on mosaic pavement. Are you beginning to, to get a... Uh, an idea of the settings and the surrounding and where they find themselves. And what's interesting is when, when, when Ezra leads people back later, when Nehemiah leads people back to Jerusalem, only a portion of them go. Not all of them go. In fact, most historians say about 10% of the Jews living in exile would end up returning back to Judah. And it's like, well, why? Why why didn't they go home? They've been living under foreign, foreign rule and living in exile. When given the opportunity, why wouldn't they go? Remember, their home was destroyed. The walls were, were torn down. The temple was destroyed. Their homes were destroyed. They literally had to go back and start from scratch. Or they could hang out in a place where they drank out of gold goblets. And there were, there were couches of, of gold and all of this splendor going on. They got comfortable there. Verse 7. So that drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine, reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. And at the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. She had to give a banquet for the women because in those days and in that culture, the men and the women did not eat together. In fact, most, uh, so, so there's some Eastern cultures even to this day where if, if you were to, to go there, the men and the women will eat in different spaces and in different rooms. And so we see in, in chapter one, it kind of gives us the setting. They're at this, this fortress. There's, there's this party that's going on. It's a time of, of celebration. King Xerxes, we, we see he, in the third year of his reign, he throws this party. Now, now, most people, most historians believe that the reason he throws this party is because at the same time, a little ways away, the Greek empire is beginning to rise. And he's wanting his officials and his nobles to, to send men and resources as he declares war on the Greeks. If you know history, the Battle of Thermopylae, the movie 300, King Leonidas, who meets King Xerxes in battle. This is the king, same King Xerxes. Esther's husband was the man, the King Xerxes from the movie 300. Just a little historical connection for you there, those of you that are history nerds. And so he's, he's getting ready to go into battle. He throws this party. He's trying to fundraise. He's trying to get everybody on his side. His wife throws a party for the women. And at the end of this seven days, the Bible tells us that he calls for his queen. 
He wants Queen Vashti to come and present herself before all of his buddies and all of the nobles. And, and whether it was to, to just brag about how beautiful his wife was, we, we don't really know the motive behind it. But what we are told is that Queen Vashti says, I'm not coming. And the king says, excuse me? And the queen says, I'm not coming. And she says, I'm not going to do that. Now, she grew up in royalty. She was the, the granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so she grew up in, in palace life. She grew up being, being pampered. And here she's, she's called to come and present herself before this group of people. And she's like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And when she responds that way, the rest of King Xerxes' nobles, they, they say, uh, King, you're going to have to do something because if, if, if the queen thinks that she can speak to you this way, then all of our wives are going to think that they can speak to us this way. And so for our benefit, King, as well as your own, we're going to need you to put your pants on and put your foot down and, and we can't let this happen. And so the king says, okay, I, I can't kill her. I'm not going to kill her. It disobeying the king in such a way was, was potential for a death sentence. He says, I'm not going to kill her, but I will remove the crown from her and I will banish her from the fortress. So he, he removes the queen and some time goes by and he starts to get lonely. He starts to, to make profiles on Match.com and all of these other places because he's without a queen and, and every good king needs a good queen and, and because he had banished Vashti, he, he needs to fill that role. And so one of his nobles comes and says, here's, here's an idea. Why don't you call all of these beautiful young virgins to come and live in the palace and let us take care of them for a year. And at the end of that year, you can choose from the entire kingdom a new queen. And so King Xerxes liked how that sounded. So these women came to live in the fortress and the ancient Jewish historian Josephus believes that there was 400 young virgins who came to participate in the first ever bachelor because essentially that's what it was. King Xerxes was the first bachelor with roses to hand out and these women who were vying for the opportunity to be queen. They lived in the palace for 12 months and every day was spa day. They were given mani patties. they were given facials, they had all the perfumes and essential oils that they could have wanted. Read your Bible, it's all in there. For, for 12 months, they are, they are beautified. And then they present themselves to the king, and it was the king's opportunity to give one final rose to one yucky, lucky young lady, and that, that young lady happens to be Esther. And he chooses this this young Jewish girl, Esther, to be queen. Esther, her parents had died. She'd been adopted by her cousin, Mordecai, who, who was her cousin, but, but really she grew up and, and he was like a father figure to her. He was one of the nobles in the courts. And he told Esther, don't, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. Don't, don't make that known. So Esther is now queen. Essentially, she's the, the most powerful woman, not just in the region, not just in the kingdom, but but essentially in the world at that time, being that Persia was, was the ruling kingdom in the world. So she rises to this position of influence and rises to this position of authority from, from orphanhood to, to the palace. And as she's serving there, her, her cousin Mordecai gets in some trouble because there's this man named Haman. He's elevated to second in command. This command goes out that anytime Haman walks by, you have to bow down out of honor and respect. And Mordecai says, I'm not going to do that. Because Mordecai refused to bow, Haman got upset and find out that he's a Jew. And now I don't just want to kill Mordecai, but I want to kill all of the Jews. So this, this command goes out that in 11 months, every Jew in the kingdom of Persia, not just in Susa, but everywhere under Persian control and reign is going to be put to death. Mordecai hears about it and he sends the letter to Esther in the palace and he says, Esther, you have to do something. And Esther says, my hands are tied because unless the king calls for me, I can't be granted an audience. If I were just to appear before him, I would be put to death. That's not going to happen. And, and Mordecai says, you have to do something. And Esther says, there's nothing that I can do. And in Esther chapter four, we're given this exchange between Mordecai and Esther that, that most of us, we, we, we will recognize it when we hear it. But Mordecai sends this reply to, to Esther. And he says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. 
If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows, Esther? Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Who knows if, if God wasn't working everything behind the scenes to give you influence for such a time as this? Who, who knows if you weren't created and born for such a time as this? And that's my encouragement to you today. That each and every one of us could have been born anywhere, at any time, to anyone, with any gifts and any strengths and any talents and any abilities that, that God wanted to, to ordain us with. And yet we find ourselves here today for such a time as this. As I, as I read through the book of Esther and as I studied it, as I meditated on it, as I prayed on it, I really felt challenged by the Holy Spirit in two ways. And, and I feel like he wants to challenge you in a similar way today. The first challenge is this. You and I must be willing to take advantage of every opportunity given. We have to recognize them for what they are, and we have to be willing to take advantage. That's what Mordecai is saying to Esther. Esther, you have an opportunity here. And Esther's like, yeah, I don't think I do. And Mordecai's like, no, you definitely do. Because, because even if you don't take it, God's going to work it out some way. You've just been given the opportunity to partner with God in saving his people. Maybe you were here just for such a time as this. We have to, to recognize the opportunities that God gives us and be willing to take advantage of them. There was uh, the, the, the autobiography of Billy Graham. He, he tells this story about his relationship with President Kennedy, JFK, and he says, one day they were, they were riding in the president's limo and the president looked at him. He says, do you believe in the second coming of Christ? And Billy Graham says, well, of course I do. And he said, but I began to explain to him everything that the Bible says in, in the book of Revelation. And he says, that's interesting. Our car ride ended. We parted ways. A few months later, we saw each other at the, the national prayer breakfast. And I was there and I was sick that day. And so I got up and I shared and you know, was just really tired and drained, not feeling good. So I got down and, and was ready just to be done. The president got up, he shared, he spoke, he got done. And, and, and as would happen, as we're, we're leaving the event, I'm walking to my car, he's walking to his. And he, he looked at me, he says, will you, will you ride with me? He says, can, can you just, just come and, and hang out with me? There's something I'd like to talk to you about. And he says, I, I looked at the president and I said, you know, Mr. President, it would be an honor to, I would, I would love to, but I'm really not feeling good. I, I have this cold, I have this flu. I'm just, I'm exhausted, I'm drained. Plus I don't wanna get you sick. And so why don't, why don't you go and, and I'll go get some rest and we can set up a time later that we can get together and we can talk about whatever it is that you wanna talk about. And the president said, okay, that sounds like a plan. They each got in their own car and went their own way. And he writes in his autobiography, it's one of the, one of the regrets, one of the things I look back on because they were never given the opportunity to have that conversation because the president would be shot in Dallas, Texas. And to this day, he, he said that he would look back and, and wonder what, what did he want to talk about? I wonder what opportunity I missed. I wonder what what concerns he had, what questions he had, what influence could I have had in, in his life and the lives of others if I would have just recognized it for what it was and taken advantage of the opportunity that was before me. And I think a, a lot of us, we, we fail to recognize the opportunity because we don't know what we're looking for. We think it's just a small decision. It's just a, it's just a small thing. Listen, your life is a combination of a lot of small things. I told you that last week. Every decision that you make is an opportunity. And it's not just the big ones that we have to take serious. See, the little opportunities come and we take, take them for granted. We don't recognize them for what they are. Big opportunities come and we fail to walk through them because we're so preoccupied wondering about all the things that could go wrong rather than contemplating the things that could go right. Winston Churchill had this to say, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, but an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. And the question is, which one are you? 
When a door presents itself, when an opportunity presents itself, are you immediately looking for all the things that could go wrong? Or when you're faced with a challenging situation, do you view that instead as an opportunity? Every day you're given opportunity, opportunity to learn, opportunity to grow, opportunity to get better, opportunity to walk with Jesus, an opportunity to, to get to know his character by staying in his word, an opportunity to disciple your kids, an opportunity to love your spouse. And every day is full of opportunities and are we making the most of them? Or do we just take them for granted? Every breath that we breathe is an opportunity because the only reason you have it is because God allows you to have it. So God, why am I here? God, what is, what, is, what is my purpose in this moment? If I'm here for such a time as this, Esther's not the only one who during the course of humanity was placed somewhere specifically for a specific purpose. But the reason you're here today is the exact same. God looked over humanity as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, looking at this story. He says, there's something that I need done in this time. Because there is something that he needs done in this time, he created you. And every day and every opportunity that you have is an opportunity to partner with him in furthering his kingdom. But too many of us sacrifice the opportunities for his kingdom for selfish gain. Or to satisfy my own opinion, my own desire, my own wishes, rather than saying, God, what is, what is my why in this moment. I think a lot of us are waiting for that one day. One day when? One day if. When this finally happens, when I finally get to this place, what if that day is tomorrow? Like what if, what if you wake up tomorrow and you change the way you view the decisions that you make and the opportunities that you have? in a way that in five years would cause you to look back and say, that's when it all changed. That was that day. If you knew the next opportunity you would be faced with was going to be the biggest opportunity in your life and make the biggest impact on your life, how would you view it different? How would you approach it different? How would you prepare for it different? Whose advice would you get about it? We are just so nonchalant with everything that we do rather than, God, what do you want me to do in this moment? Ephesians chapter five says, be careful. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. How many of you want to live like a fool? Mr. T said, I pity the fool. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, make the most of what? Every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't let any opportunity go to waste. And yet we do it so often. Mordecai says, Esther, maybe God's put you here for such a time as this. Sir, maybe God has put you here for such a time as this. Ma'am, maybe God has put you here for such a time as this. Young person, maybe God has put you in that school for such a time as this. I don't know, I don't know what that is, but, but God does. We need to begin to, to recognize that each and every one of us are born with purpose and destiny and plans over our lives. Rather than just going through life and going through the motions, let us get serious about, God, what opportunities are you giving me and how do you want me to approach them? Mordecai calls this out of Esther. Here's the, the other question that I have is, who is your Mordecai and who are you Mordecai to? Because a lot of times we read the scripture and we like to put ourselves in the, the place of the main character. Like we are Esther. And yeah, we are, we are here for such a time. But on the flip side, like Mordecai looked at Esther and he called something out of her that she didn't even know was there. Who have you done that to? Who are you in relationship with that you recognize God's hand and God's providence in their lives and God's favor upon them and said, listen, don't, don't settle. Stop settling. Who are you encouraging to take a step of faith? Who are, you, who are you pushing along in their spiritual journey? Whose dreams are you trying to make happen rather than focusing on your own? Who are you being Mordecai to and who is your Mordecai? If you don't have that, then get in community. Join a small group, start serving, do something. Stop trying to do life alone because none of us can. We have to be willing to make the most of every opportunity. But if we're going to do that, the second challenge is this. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes. 
Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to sacrifice? Because there are things that we eventually want, but then there are things that we want right now. And what happens is oftentimes we sacrifice the things we eventually want so that we can have the things that we want right now, rather than sacrificing what we want right now so that one day we can walk in what we really want. Are you following me? We sacrifice the long term for the immediate, the instant gratification, the instant feelings, the instant emotions. And so we give up. We sacrifice so much. Are we willing to do what it takes? Look at what, what Esther says to, to Mordecai. Go and put that verse up there. Then Esther sends this reply. Go and gather together all the Jews, not just of Susa, but, but every, all the, the areas. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, highlight that, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Somewhere Ivan Drago is in a corner saying, if she dies, she dies. No? Okay, we'll move on. She says, if I die, I die. If that's what it comes to, I'm willing to, to lay it all on the line. I'm willing to give it all. I'm willing to sacrifice it all. I'm willing to risk it all. If I go down, I'm going to go down fighting. We've lost the resolve to fight. We just roll over. She was willing to get out of her comfort zone. She says, this is against the law. I shouldn't be doing this. He hasn't called for me and I have the chance to, to lose my life in this effort. And yet, rather than remaining comfortable in the palace with my spa days and my essential oils, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna gain an audience with the king because it's not about what's comfortable for me, but it's about what God has created me for in this moment. And I don't wanna sacrifice my purpose on the altar of comfort. So many of us have purpose and the reason we're not walking in it is because we don't want to take a step of faith. And then we go to bed at night and it's like, there's got to be more to life than this. And why do I feel so empty? And, and why am I not fulfilled? And it's because you're, you're consumed with comfort. You're consumed with safety. You're consumed with control. And if we can't control the people in our lives or we can't control the circumstances, then we don't want to, she couldn't control anything. She wasn't comfortable anywhere. She put her life on the line and said, if this is what it takes, this is what it takes, but I'm willing to do it. There was spiritual preparation. She said, fast for three days. Fast with me. Are you willing to, to undergo the spiritual preparation that is needed to get from where you are to where God wants you to be? Are you willing to fast? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to commit to church? Are you willing to give sacrificially? Are you willing to give up a night of your week to join a discipleship class? Are you willing to give up a weekend to register for all access? Are you willing to get in a community and small group? Are you willing to serve the, at the, the opportunity given? Are you willing? Or are we just somebody waiting for anybody to do it? And eventually, nobody does. It's like, well, I thought somebody else was going to do that. Maybe, just maybe, God put you here so that you could be that somebody. There's spiritual preparation. There's mental resolve. If I die, I die. There's a mental determination. There's this dedication that, that no matter what happens, I'm going to go through with it. No matter what happens, I'm willing to, to pay the price. We've gotten so complacent in our Christianity that we're not willing to give up anything. We're not willing to sacrifice anything. And those of you that are watching online, I love you and I'm glad that you can watch online. But like, I think a, I think a, a problem that COVID has revealed is how complacent and comfortable we are in our Christianity to where now church isn't even essential. And what do I need to gather together to worship corporately for? I can just watch online. Now, listen, I, I appreciate the fact that things happen. Life is busy. I get that. And if we miss, we miss. And we can, we can watch online, and I'm grateful. But it's, it's a tool. It's not a replacement. And there are so many Christians today that rather than committing to the local body of believers have settled for comfort and complacency in their walk with the Lord. And it's like, well, if I just watch online or if I just watch in the car on the way to work, if I just, then it, it's not the same. 
There has to be this resolve, this determination, this dedication that no matter what it takes, I'm going to do it. I'm willing to sacrifice. In order to have what you really want in your life, you have to sacrifice. In order to have what, what, what God has created you for, there must be sacrifice. Me and Angel have been talking for a while about adding to our family and She's like, no, I don't want to do that, but, but I really wanted to. And so um, we, we decided that, that we would add another weasel to the mix. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, you guys are pregnant. We're not pregnant. We got a puppy. And so, so I'm, I'm not going to put a, a picture of an ultrasound up, but I will show you the newest weasel. Go ahead and put, this is, this is, Lo, this is Lola girl. This is Lola, Yeah. We've been two years without a dog. I grew up with German Shepherds. When, we had, when, when the kids were little, we had Fenway. Fenway was our German Shepherd. And Fenway got old. We had to put Fenway down. So we've been without a dog. You can take the picture down. We've been without a dog for a couple of years now. And, and me and the kids are always like, we, we want dogs. Angel's a cat person. We're still praying for her. Would ask that you do the same. <laughs> and she's like, no, because the last, like, the hair and the shedding and the smells and the poop and the pee and all this stuff. Like those of you with dogs, you understand what I'm talking about. But I'm like, I don't care. I want a dog. I really, like, I really want a dog. And she's like, if you want a dog, you're going to have to take care of it. She said, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything for the dog. I'm not going to take care of it. And, and she was all taught for like three months. And then we go and pick up the dog and we're driving home with the dog. And I turn around and Angel's got the seats in the back laid down and she's laying there and Lola's just laying in her arm. Yeah, I came home from work the other day. She's taking a nap on the bed. And for the last week, it's been, she's not allowed on furniture. Don't let her on the couch. Don't let her on anything. I come home from work and Angel's napping in bed and Lola's right there napping with her. But Angel said, if you want a dog, you're going to have to take care of it. You're going to have to be responsible for it. And I said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And those of you that have had puppies, and those of you that have had babies, you know, like, it's essentially the same thing. Except with the baby, there's like a diaper that they poop in. And with the puppy, you've got to, like, get on your hands and knees and scrub the carpet with it. And so she said, you have to be responsive. I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. I'll do whatever it takes. 1.30 in the morning. Okay, we'll go outside. We'll go pee. Come back in. 3.30 in the morning. Okay. 5 in the morning. Every hour and a half to two hours. I want a dog. I want a dog. I want a dog. I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to do. Sacrifice. The sacrifices that we must be willing to make. And, and listen, I understand. I recognize like this example of me and my dog is very small compared to the opportunities we're faced with every day and the open doors that God has placed in front of us and the things that we can walk through, but also the things that that we're going to require, that are going to be required of us to lay down so that we can see that fulfilled. Mordecai says to Esther, Esther, maybe you were put here for such a time as this to use your influence, not for your own fame, not for your own benefit, not to expand your kingdom, but maybe you were put in this place to expand God's kingdom. Esther, are you willing to do what is required of you? This week, as I, as I studied Esther, as I read Esther, really just felt challenged in this way. Stop missing opportunities to use the influence and the favor and the gifts that God has given you. Stop overlooking the small things and stop running from the big things. Determine that you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to do whatever it takes. My final question for you today is, is this. Who is someone in your life that you can influence with the gospel? Who is somebody that, that is in your circle of influence, your sphere of influence, that God has given you relationship with and favor in their lives? 
that every day you're given opportunity to share your faith. Every day you're given opportunity to share the hope that you have found. Every day you're given opportunity to make a deposit in somebody else's life, not to benefit you, but to benefit his kingdom. And I was challenged with this this week. God, am I doing everything that I can at every opportunity, at every turn, to do everything I can to partner with you in expanding your kingdom? When's the last time I invited somebody to church? When's the last time I shared my faith? When's the last time I got outside of my comfort zone? Say, God, I'll say something. I'll do whatever it takes. God, I'll say something because this opportunity might not come again. God, I'll say something because I don't want to miss this chance. This morning, here's what I want you to do. If you would just stand to your feet, We're going to pray and we're going to be dismissed here in just a second. But I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you a minute. And I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, just just quiet yourself, quiet your mind, quiet your spirit, quiet your heart, and just ask God, God, who is that person? God, who is one person that this week I can be intentionally looking for opportunities to share my faith? to invite them to church, to invite them to find the joy and the hope that I have found. God, who's the person that you've given me favor for such a time as this? What is it that you're asking me to do this week? Lord, I thank you for speaking to to each and every one of us. Thank you that your word was never meant to be informational, but it was meant to be transformational. That we are to be transformed and changed into your image, but that's only as we become doers of your word. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us not to come together to, to hear a message, to be challenged by you, and then to leave and do nothing with it because all that, All that will happen is our hearts get hard and we get a little bit more calloused. But Lord, as we go from this place today, I pray that we would would make the most of every opportunity, that we we would determine that we will do whatever it takes, that we will use the influence, the favor, the gifts, the strengths that you have placed inside each and every one of us for such a time as this, because there are things that I can do that nobody else can do. And there are things that each and every one of us in this room can do that throughout human history, nobody else can do it the way that you've created us to do it. Lord, that we would walk in the fullness of the purpose that you have for us. But that comes as we make the most of every opportunity. We recognize them for what they are, walk through them with boldness, with faith, and with courage, knowing that you're going before us and you're going with us. Give us opportunity this week, divine opportunity. And as you do, may our perspectives and focus be so in tune with you that we would not miss it. Help us to see not with our physical eyes, Help us to see into the spiritual. Help us to to hear not with our our physical ears, but may we be in tune with the spirit, being led in everything we do and everything that we say with the purpose of furthering your kingdom. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Be blessed. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.